0: this is a quote from a Tibetan Buddhist teacher named Chogayam Trungpa. He said, There are times to cultivate and create when you nurture your world and give birth to new ideas and ventures. There are times of flourishing and abundance when life feels in full bloom, energized and expanding and there are times of fruition. When things come to an end, they have reached their climax and must be harvested before they begin to fade. And finally, of course, there are times that are cold and cutting and empty, times when the spring of new beginnings seems like a distant dream. Those rhythms in life are natural events. They weave into one another as day follows night, bringing not messages of hope and fear, but messages of how things are. Hello, welcome to episode number six of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic all on my own today. This is a solo episode because I know quite a few of you enjoy that. I enjoy that. I'm a talker, and today I want to talk about the journey is the creation, which is a personal motto of mine. Sometimes this happens. Often this happens. I find kind of a slogan like that, and it becomes a way of life for me, and then it starts making its way into my biz messaging because I have found That when I find something that is really powerful for me, just, you know, the most basic stuff, I'm a super basic witch. When I find a really basic idea like that that actually serves me, that is useful, I find when I share it, other people find it useful too. Not everyone, but some people. So this is for those some people today who hear the journey is the creation and get it. I'm going to expand on that a bit, but it is definitely a way of life for me. And what it has done for me in terms of being useful is make my entire life practice. My whole life is practice. And the reason I chose to read that quote in the beginning is because I know a lot of people listening right now are self-identified witches who follow the wheel of the year. And it's always exciting and interesting to me when I see the seasons of life reflected in different philosophies and religions like Buddhism and Taoism. There's even some Christians that will talk about nature in this way, talk about the seasons of life in this way. Jim Rohn comes to mind. I have a book of his I think it's called The Seasons of Life. And I just always love when a variety of philosophies or approaches to life or religions, however you want to frame them, they share a piece of truth in common like this. That's really exciting to me because I feel like ding, 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 this might be a universal truth. And certainly nature is that right we are all in nature nature is in all of us nature is a creative ever expanding enterprise and so are we so I think it behooves us not only to walk the wheel of the year for our own health our own mental health our own physical health to enhance the experience of life and connect with the seasons but also to learn about the creative process the creative process of life has seasons and because i think so many of us have capitalist brain we are so indoctrinated into this capitalist Culture that we feel like we have to be productive all the time. We can't even rest, even if we've had a surgery, even if we've just given birth to a child, even if we're very ill, even if we're burnt out. There is no resting. And this is like an internal taskmaster that lives in our head and starts yelling at us the minute we take a break. And that is a violation of nature. That is a violation of our nature. And it is trying to bypass the seasons of life, the seasons of a creative cycle. Having a baby is a perfect example of this because often women will have a baby and then they are pressured to immediately go back into the workforce. Not only does the baby end up suffering potentially, but so does the mother because she doesn't have time to rest and recoup and bond with her baby in the way nature has intended. And we think we can just skip that step. Like, fine, you pooped that baby out, Slap on some spanks and head back to the office now, worker bee. (laughs) And, And we can do it. We can push ourselves that way. We might need the help of some pills or some sort of supplementation, but we'll do it. We'll drive ourselves into the ground until our bodies literally quit on us. And this is something that I think a lot of people are thinking about now and talking about now. And I'm such a fan of walking the wheel of the year for this reason in particular because it says embrace every single season as being a natural part of the process. If you stay in process, if you view your own life as a journey and that journey as a creation, it invites you to stay in the process and to stay engaged with life, working with what is, playing with what is, being with what is in a more natural, easy way. And maybe easy isn't the right word, Because life isn't always easy, but I mean easeful in the sense of allowing, accepting, embracing, in flow, in flow with what is energetically for your own self. What season are you in? And I understand that we don't just have capitalist brain; we have capitalist jobs. We work for corporations. We are following relentless schedules for our kids' education and athletic programs. And we have capitalist brains because we live in a capitalist world. But I think what's exciting now is a lot of people are questioning this because I think we're starting to realize that these days that we're in the process of living right now, this is it. This is our life. If you hate your job, If you hate today, if you hate what you have to do for the next 30 years to be able to retire, you hate your life. And that's unacceptable. Nobody who listens to the Joe DeVoe show is going to hate their life if I have anything to do with it. Damn it. (laughs) I feel that we are meant to to enjoy our lives and that doesn't mean that they're not sad sometimes that doesn't mean that they're not hard sometimes those are seasons of life but it means that we are engaged with it in a fully present way that honors who we are and what we're made of and what we truly have to offer in the moment and if we don't have anything to offer in the moment it might be that we have reached a personal winter the winter of whatever creative process we're in and it's time now to retreat and rest and go within and it's Funny that I'm saying that right now because it's spring. Spring has sprung, flowers are everywhere. It's a really exciting time, at least here in Los Angeles. It's absolutely gorgeous. It smells like heaven. It smells so good. It's so visually stunning and the weather is beautiful. It's actually supposed to get into the mid 90s this week. So, (laughs) knock on wood, the weather is beautiful today ask me how I feel about it Thursday and we'll see (laughs) I'm not a fan of 94 degrees at any rate I'm actually not here to talk about the wheel of the year today I'm here to talk about how the journey is the creation but I don't think I would have gotten to the place where I deeply understand what that means had I not been walking the wheel of the year for over a decade maybe 12 years now and allowed that to inform who I am. I suspect that this idea of the journey is the creation was born of that. Although the first time I ever heard that phrase, it was something that Abraham Hicks said in passing. It wasn't the point of what was being said. It was just like this little side moment, but I just heard it. I heard it and my mind grabbed it out of what was being said. I don't even remember in what context. I just remember being like, the journey is the creation. Of course. Yes. The journey is the creation. And that was many years ago. And my understanding of this has only continued to develop as I've come to see my own life As a practice. And that practice is to stay in my life, to not disengage, to not disassociate, to not escape, but to really stay in it, to stay present to what is, to play around with what is, to co create with what is and to be very courageous about it because it sometimes can be scary. But that is where life happens. Life happens in the present moment. And that is a concept that I think we can understand for decades intellectually. But when you really start practicing being in the present moment, it starts to take on a different life of understanding and you start to get better and better and better at being really present, maybe being heart-centered, maybe being really grounded or embodied is how you think about it. Many books have been written on the subject. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle comes to mind and that book made so much sense to me when I first read it, when it was brand new. But now I feel like, I live it. I live it. And it is a practice because I'm constantly having to come back to the present moment. My mind is constantly trying to escape and I'm constantly bringing it back to the now. And I had this really interesting moment where I was about to launch something called BizWitch 101. And this was in the fall of 2020. And I noticed that. I was in a really panicked state in which I was doing something that I referred to as panic creating and I've always known that I was going to do biz, not always, for years I have known that I'm going to do an audio journey called Bizwitch 101, but I really just like pushed it forward because we were in the midst of a pandemic and I had lost a big chunk of my income and I was panic creating like, ah, I have to make something to sell and it better be good. And I was so busy. My son was home all the time. Our entire lives had changed, and I did not acknowledge the change. And I did not make space for that. I did not adjust my schedule. I just layered more on top of more so all my son's programs went online as i think everyone's kids programs did it was all zoom all the time and i was the zoom manager on top of running my business and instead of cutting back on the workload to accommodate this new responsibility i had it really was just more on top of more and the consequence was this feeling of panic and pushing past my limits and being very very tired and irritated I did not respect what was happening I did not acknowledge what is I kept trying to make it the way it used to be I kept doing things the way I used to do things but life had changed I missed a step I didn't change with it and so I got out of sync with the dance I was just trying to work harder and do more and I was suffering and I hit a moment where I realized I can do this. I know I can do this. I've done this so many times before, but I don't want to. I don't want to do this to myself. Not anymore. I want to be at peace. And so I stopped. I stopped the launch. the Funnel is still there, but that project is on hold until I have the time to really invest the energy that it needs and that I feel like it deserves. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it being on hold for a while so that I can meet life where it is right now and be present for that instead of trying to do more on top of more. I bring this all up now in this context because what that experience did is it launched me into about 9 months. I don't I didn't I didn't track it day by day, but I think it was about 9 months of deep inner peace. I just got into a really flowy state with life that I was able to maintain for about 9 months. And I was in it like, wow, this is amazing. I feel very calm, very peaceful, very tuned into the present moment. It wasn't perfect. I came in and out of it. But the length of time that I could sustain it was significant. It was significant. Every single day I was at peace. And what ended up knocking me off was my son's programs trying to pick back up and realizing he had lost his transportation. And I kind of just got thrust into an inconvenient, time-consuming situation that I have been in since August of 2021. And because I had that nine-month-long experience, I was able to notice, holy crap, I have lost it. I have lost my mind. I am freaking out. I am so f- Filled with anger right now. And I'm angry because I don't like what is. I feel victimized by what is. I feel out of control. And I feel angry about what is being done to me. And I held on to that for long enough to where it really got my attention. And I was like, okay, here we are again. We are at a choice point. We can continue to suffer like this. Because this is what is. You're not going to change it. Getting angry certainly is not going to change it. Or we can let go of this story about being a victim and we can just accept what is and go with the flow of it. And I made the right choice, my friends. I let go and I was able to then return to that more flowy, present place. Yes, some days are very annoying. I'm spending a silly amount of time stuck in traffic and trying to manage my son's Zoom classes with interviews I do. And it's not convenient. But when I stay really present and very playful, I find not just peace, but I find joy. I find I'm able to be engaged with life almost like it's a game like I'm playing or it's a dance and I can kind of laugh at the challenges and take them as they come and if I'm not able to laugh I'm at least able to just peacefully deal with them and I think it's because I'm operating from this paradigm that the journey is the creation and that means there is no there 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 is no end point that I'm trying to reach. There's nothing to achieve or accomplish outside of what I can achieve and accomplish in this moment, which is just to be very, very present and engaged and playful with what is. And in that way, the journey is the creation. Every day is the journey. Every minute of every day is the journey. And that's it. That's my creation. That's my co-creation, if you want to look at it like that. I am co-creating with life. I don't have control of everything. I just mentioned Abraham Hicks. I don't hold the belief that we create everything with our minds. I'm a person who believes we co-create with life, but you can only do that When you're present for it, you can only do it when you're super engaged and mindful and taking life as it comes and being with whatever season you're in and having this acceptance and being in a state of flow with it. I think so often we attribute flow states to athletes and artists But flow states absolutely apply to a busy mom running around and picking up and dropping her kids off and doing the grocery shopping. You can be in flow with that too. I can be in flow with anything if I accept it. It's when we fight against life that we stop co-creating with it. The journey stops being the creation and it starts being something that is being done to us. Life is something that's happening to us instead of happening with us i also just get a lot of inspiration from the concept that the journey is the creation because when i'm thinking the journey is the creation i'm thinking "Ooh, what do i want to make of this day what do i want to wear who do i want to call what do i want to work on where do i want to put my energy for some reason that concept really speaks to me and it has me making better choices about my life because my life is not a means to an end. It's this experience that's ongoing that I'm having right now. This moment is my life. This moment matters. I'm not sacrificing the present on the altar of what could be in the future or what I'm worried about in the future. I'm not sacrificing the present for some future outcome. I'm making the present just as important even if I am working toward a future outcome. I'm saying this moment, this present moment is just as valuable and important. And there's something here that I need to learn or experience. And at the very least, I'm gonna enjoy myself, damn it. Another way to put it might be I'm more focused on process or practice than I am product. When I focus on product, when I focus on the end result or the outcome, it spoils the practice. It spoils the process as being valuable in and of itself. So if I think every day of my life is a practice and is a process, I'm staying in flow. When I start trying to achieve a particular outcome, it pushes me up into my head and I start judging and I start measuring and that's when I get frustrated. When things don't go my way, I can get angry. I can start feeling like a victim. Life is happening to me. And it's the difference between that. One feels good. One does not. And so, I think sometimes practice implies that it's not as important as the thing that you're practicing for. And what I'm saying is that the practice in and of itself is valuable and worthy if you can be super present for it because it's amusing, because it's interesting, because it's engaging, because you're getting to experience life in real time. It's not life deferred. It's life now. And there's so much you can do with that. Even if you encounter a problem, if you're like, oh my God, this is a big mofo problem. Holy shit. You're there with it. You're there with it. You're able to deal with it honestly and directly and move through it more quickly as opposed to freaking out about it, trying to escape from it going up into your head, blaming other people, and needlessly suffering. The problem is there. Do you want to add suffering on top of it, or do you just want to roll up your sleeves and address the problem? This all sounds very easy and very cut and dry, the way that I'm putting it, but it really is a challenging practice, because it's just hilarious how quickly you can lose it, and then how once you've lost it, once you've lost the present moment, how much effort sometimes it can take to get back there. I always get back there through my body by putting my hands on my chest and closing my eyes and taking some deep breaths, things like that, using certain mudras, things that bring me into my body, but I literally have to make an effort. And I just think that we're such funny creatures, humans, because you would think we would just live in that place all the time because that's what makes sense. The only thing that is, is what is? Is this life we're living? Animals live that way. You can watch your pets and you can see that they're living in the present moment. But we are not. (laughs) And I feel confident in saying we because most people are not able to live in the present 24-7. Even those of us that have yoga practices or regular meditation practices those who have been doing it for decades, it's still comical how often we slip up and forget and and, and lose lose that connection. I've kind of developed a personal thought form out of this ongoing, off-and-on, many years-long relationship that I have had with Ram Das as a teacher. I love Ram Das. If you don't know who Ram Das is, that's R A M D A S S. He passed away a few years ago, but his teachings are going strong. If anything, he's gaining in popularity, and I think it's because he had a wonderful sense of humor and he never took himself too seriously, even at the point where people had elevated him to such a degree, you know, that they'd pay money and gather in a room and stare at him like he was a guru with all the answers. He always brought it down to reality and would poke fun at himself for all the times that he would lose the present moment or his ego would get the best of him, particularly some of his early Lectures, all of his early lectures, like throughout the 70s and the early 80s, those were really interesting to me. They really speak to who I am right now. And before he was Ram Dass, he was Richard Alpert. That's who he was born as. He was a Harvard professor. He was very much a pioneer in the psychedelic movement in America and partners with Timothy Leary in that way. Timothy Leary ended up going to prison, and Ram Dass ended up going to India in search of a guru, and that's when he became Ram Dass. And he came back to America as this very groovy, hippy, dippy rock star of... An unofficial guru I don't think he ever held the title of guru but he talked a lot about his own guru and what he had learned in India really became his lifelong work it became his mission it became what he taught mindfulness becoming loving awareness recognizing that you are loving awareness and then again like I said Pointing out those moments when your ego steps in and you lose the truth of who you are. Even after you have found it. You have to find it again and again and again. And always he taught that with such humor that when you listen to him, you don't feel judged. You don't feel shamed. You don't feel should upon. You feel seen. You feel understood and you feel like you're in good hands. That's the way I feel anyway. So recently I decided I want a poster of Ram Das in my office, overlooking my office, over my desk. And I found this amazing, beautiful piece of art by Karen Payton that she sells in the form of a poster on Society6. I ordered the poster and when it got here, It was hilarious how humongous it was. I had no idea. It was so huge. I did order the biggest one. I was like, I want the biggest one. But I did not realize it would be so massive. And I was happy about it. And I hung it up on the wall. And ever since then, this kind of cartoon character of Ram Dass has been interacting with me in my imagination in a way that feels like it's its own independent entity I am playing with this thought form that seems to have taken on a life of its own and I have had this experience before with Henry Miller Henry Miller is a living breathing thought form for me in my imagination I'm not experiencing it as imagination, I'm like, oh, Henry's here. Hey, Henry. And actually, I think this started when I hung a poster of Henry Miller in my kitchen. And I would go in there in the morning and be like, good morning, Henry. <laughs> hey, Henry, what's going on? And I would lean up against the kitchen counter while I sipped my coffee, staring up at him. And that poster says always merry and bright, but he has like a lit cigarette burning. If you don't know who Henry Miller was. He's, he's a writer. He wrote Tropic of Cancer. That's his most famous work and many other books. One of my personal favorites is Big Sur and the Oranges of Hieronymus Bach. I have a special connection with Big Sur. I have a special connection with Henry Miller. He's the one that first introduced me to Big Sur through literature. And he was just a very flawed human character who was really always reaching for his own Buddha nature and as he aged that part of himself became more prominent and more wisdom started coming through his writing and I've just always really resonated with that and so now I'm having a similar experience with Ram Das. and I tell you this because something really funny happened around this Last month, I kicked off what will be a seven-year journey. I'm going to make my own tarot deck, one card, one month at a time. I'm sharing this journey on Patreon and inviting other people to do it with me. And so last month, I was creating a Fool card. And my first business that I started in 2003 was illustration based and then I brought it online in 2004 with an illustrated zine that was brand new every single month. There were new illustrations and a whole new zine, all hand illustrated with Sharpie and typing paper and then I had a line of panties and t-shirts and handbags and in 2006 I did a coloring book called Will Work for Food, a coloring book for grown-ups and illustration was just my thing for a long time. Until I really got rolling with Kick Ass Witch. And I missed it. I haven't done it in a long time. And doing this tarot deck was an opportunity to re engage with that part of myself and reincorporate it into my life professionally. <laughs> but what I found is in the time that I had taken off, my eyesight is not so good, people. It was shocking to me when I returned to the typing paper and the Sharpies, how blurry everything was. I was. like, oh my God. I was wearing my little Dollar Tree cheaters that I read with and I was like leaning in really close to the page and realizing, holy cow, I am aging. I'm aging and this is harder than it used to be. Which didn't deter me, it only made me more determined to be like, I have to draw. I have to draw now while I have this ability. At any rate, it took me much, much, much longer to create the illustration than I thought it would. And there was a lot of cutting and pasting with actual scissors and a glue stick to get it to look how I wanted it to look. I couldn't really get the scene right. Something kept feeling off and I finally got it exactly how I wanted it to be and I was like, yes, this is my fool. And then I went to put it in my scanner, which is a printer that I just learned how to use the scanner feature on and it didn't fit. It didn't Fit. It was too big, and every configuration that I tried, it would cut off one side of this illustration. <laughs> so I ended up taking scissors and cutting the damn thing into pieces. My poor little illustration, it's all cut up so it would finally fit into the printer, and what kept happening is every single time I encountered one of these hiccups or one of these challenges, Ram Das was there, and he was laughing at me. He thought this was hilarious and by the time i was literally cutting my own illustration in half he was like rolling on the floor (laughs) laughing and it made me laugh because i was like this is really funny isn't it and i understand that we are talking about my imagination here i want you to understand that i have not completely lost my mind but i enjoy playing this way and if you invest in a thought form in this way sometimes it will play back with you and so Ram Das became this imaginary character that was laughing at me, trying to make this thing happen. And the laughing was just so joyful. It was just like, look at this. You're doing a thing. You're engaging with life. You're playing. This is what you want to do with your life. This is you creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. And look how ridiculous it is. Look at what a clown you are and how silly it is. And let's not take ourselves too seriously. This is not a thing to get upset about. Having to cut your illustration in half is not a thing To get upset about. And he was so far ahead of that for me that I didn't even have a moment of frustration. I didn't even get to the point of frustration because he was already laughing. He was already cracking up. And it just kept things so light and so wonderful. And I wanted to share that with you because I thought maybe you might understand those of you who enjoy working with thought forms. And also, just to recommend, Ram Dass as a teacher. There are so many lectures of his online. As he got older, after he had a stroke, he did become more of what you might expect of a guru, although he did always have his sense of humor intact. Where I'm at with his teachings is probably two decades before he died. What he was saying back then is what's speaking to me now. Maybe I will evolve and some of the things that he's sharing more after he had his stroke in his elderly years will speak to me on a different level. I enjoy it, but it's it doesn't hit the spot to me in the way it did those earlier lectures. That's just where I'm at. And I think what he was teaching really was awakening and enlightenment in terms of being enlightened to the reality of this life and awakening to who you really are, perhaps as loving awareness is what he perceived it to be. But I don't think enlightenment is this end-all, be-all state of sustained wokeness that you finally achieve one day and then like, pow, you're enlightened. I don't think it's like that for most of us. I don't think it was like that for Ram Das, I think it's... A thousand tiny moments throughout your lifetime it's a thousand tiny aha moments where you're like aha you know if you think of enlightenment as a byproduct of practice it's an incremental experience it's like having a really enlightening conversation or reading a really enlightening book it's a shift in perspective like all of a sudden my awareness is expanded and I understand things in a different way, in a new way, in a way that feels liberating. That to me feels like enlightenment and I have been enlightened many, many, many times, but I am not an enlightened being, if that makes sense. I'm a person who is in practice in process creating the journey of my life intentionally and then having these little moments of insight along the way that are illuminating and liberating and feel enlightening so this is all just to say over and over and over again to really hammer it home that the journey is the creation when you fully immerse yourself in what you are doing You are better able to find the joy in it and you're better able to find your point of power and what you have to contribute, what you are capable of, the peace that you have control over. You can't control everything, but you can't control anything if you're not present. And so being present to your life makes of it a journey and a creation I'm talking in circles. The journey is the creation. I will be back here on Monday with another awesome interview. I have quite a few interviews in the can that I'm going to be editing and rolling out. There's my timer again. (laughs) Second time that's happened. I have quite a few interviews in the can that I'm going to be editing and rolling out on Mondays in the weeks ahead. I'm excited about every single one of them. I think you're really going to enjoy what is coming up. So stay tuned. If you're having fun here and you want to support the podcast, you can do that over on Patreon. I'm Joanna DeVoe on Patreon, or you can follow the link in the show notes. And until we meet again, always remember, life is change, change is magic. Magic is life, and say it with me now, the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.